Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there were, was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, as Chuck mentioned, we are beginning a new study, a new series um, the book of Daniel, and I am very excited um, about the study as well. It's not going to go as long as, as probably as I'd like. I mean, you get into a lot of books and you're like, boy, I could make this three times, four times as long of a study because there's so much to look at. Um, as I consider the book of Daniel, I was meditating this morning. Um, the, this is sound weird, but anyways, Steelers enters into the, the the Daniel thing here, right? Ben Roethlisberger is going to probably retire at the end of the season. Now, I know that means nothing to many of you, um, and that's okay. Um, but there's a lot of articles that are being written then about him. And one of the articles is really, um, it applies here, um, that was really thought was really cool was that they were 
rating his impact upon um, the players of impact and how they rate through the history of the NFL and where he ranks in the end of, as an individual, the impact that he has made upon his team compared to others. And they talked about then comparing him to, to others who have played in the NFL. And I won't tell you exactly where he, but it was quite high actually, um, when they were talking about the impact that he has had on his team. And I started thinking about Daniel from that perspective. You know, it's interesting to think about the impact that your life has upon others who are around you. You don't realize that you do, but you do. But, but as we look at Bible characters, it's easy for us to look back at the Bible and try to consider them. From the Jewish perspective, probably the name that come up the most is who? Moses. And so instantly I was drawn to the, consider, I was doing my contrast between Moses and, and Daniel. And I thought about it, I thought, and we're, I don't want to steal the, the thunder as we come into Daniel, but I thought, wow, you know, as I started weighing it, I thought, you know, Daniel far outshines. Moses. Now, Moses did go out to try to deliver the people when he was 40 years old, okay? But he had a kind of an instant um, um, up on Daniel. I mean, he was spared at birth, right? Miraculously. So he must known that God wanted him to do something. Daniel didn't necessarily have that. But when God comes to, to Moses, and personally, vibrantly, right there, he's, he's coming to him and telling him he wants to use him in a burning bush. Moses does what? Send somebody else. I came up with every excuse I could come up with, but here, we're going to cut it to the chase. I don't want to go. But you don't see that with Daniel. I mean, quite the opposite. What we're going to see today is it's quite the opposite. And Daniel's going to stand up, and he's going to make a stand, and he's going to make an impact. As we go through the book, we're going to see three themes of impact. There's going to be the impact of his God. Clearly, it's not just Daniel, but it's the power behind Daniel, who is Yahweh. But then there's the impact of his life upon those that are about him. And as we already talked about with the memory verse, there's Nebuchadnezzar already declaring the praise of the Most High God. He wouldn't have done that apart from God's using Daniel in his life, apart from Daniel being willing to be used by God in his life. And then there's the impact of his writing, which we'll talk about more as we get into the prophetic portion, because the liberals hate this book. They hate this book. They wanted to declare that this book was written later, not earlier. So earlier means closer to the creation. Later, closer to our time. They wanted it clear that, that it had to be written closer to our time than when it really was written, because Daniel, through Daniel, God gives specific details of the Grecian kingdom that wasn't even a kingdom yet. There's no way that Daniel could have made the statements that he made, apart from God giving him prophetic understanding and enlightenment. And that drives the liberals crazy. So as I consider, as I come into this book, for me, you know, there's a kid's song, you know, Dare to be a Daniel. And then there's the Daniel was a man of prayer, daily prayed to three. I want to be a Daniel. I want to be a Daniel. And I want to challenge you that as we come through this book, that don't just read it as, sometimes we can go through, Bible studies, like they're Bible studies. You get what I'm saying by that, right? We're just, ah, whatever. It's just something from the Old Testament. It's something. But I want you to consider the impact that one individual, you, Daniel, clearly, can have upon the world when they are wholly and fully submitted to the sovereignty of God in their life and in the world. And that's exactly what we're gonna see. And so today, as we, we come into this beginning portion, as Chuck has already written, uh, read, Daniel is gonna be faced, is it, he's in the midst of international turmoil. International conflict is going on. Does this sound familiar? Interna I mean, around the world, around the globe, his globe, 
understand it's not maybe the same as our globe at this moment. Makes sense? Our, we understand with the internet how wide it is. Daniel may not have understood the, the full, but everything he understood about the world was in chaos at the moment. And that chaos was having an effect upon his own life. There were personal implications to the international conflicts that were going on. And that's where we begin um, in this, with the international situation, the, the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar. That's where we pick it up, right? That in the third year of Jehoiakim, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, right? He comes and, and, and he does all these things. But this isn't new. This isn't like it just came out of the blue, like, whoa, where did this come from, you know? And, um, but Nebuchadnezzar's already been doing some conquests. And so I have this map up there, and I know that it's quite small for everybody there, but it's just a, something for us to visualize upon. And uh, I have five cities, and again, you may not be able to see this, but I have five cities, Memphis, Jerusalem, Carchemish, Nineveh, and Babylon, with their little blocks around it, because they are all um, instrumental in this history, okay? So... Um, in fact, let's go back to 2 Kings 23. That's why I've got it there. I want us to read um, a little bit of the history here. Okay, So go, let's go back to 2 Kings 23. And, and you're gonna, we're going to read about those cities as we go through this. Second Kings 23, beginning at verse 28. Okay, and we're going to go down to 24, verse 7. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah, okay, so Josiah was the good king, right? Remember that? He comes, who did, who did he come after? Anybody remember? Yeah, not Manasseh. So I think it's one or two after Manasseh. Let me make sure of that. Yeah, Ammon. Ammon was the king before that. Say again. Yeah, right, okay? So Manasseh, Manasseh was, was one or two generations before him, okay? But Manasseh was evil. Ammon was evil, okay? Josiah becomes king. Josiah is what? Good king, right? And so bringing reforms in. But not to the extent that you think it is. Again, if you were here when we studied the book of Jeremiah, you'd understand that even in the days of Josiah, there were things that were going on. But still, there were good things. And so you got to remember, the reason we're starting here is Daniel, when he goes to um, Babylon, is a late teenager, okay? I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I'll say he's between 16 and 19. That's my ballpark, okay? When I think of this. He could be in the early 20s, but that's where I'm thinking. So the reason we're starting here with Josiah is Daniel's alive. This is what Daniel's understanding. Does it make sense? So Daniel, when he was a child, was witnessing King Josiah, okay? So now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Okay, so what do we got going on? Okay, so we have Jerusalem. That's where Josiah is, okay? We have um, Nineveh up here, but the Euphrates, Nineveh is on the Tigris, okay? Not the Euphrates. What's on the Euphrates? What's Carchemish? So this is, you can look up the Battle of Carchemish, okay? And there'll be a lot of videos on this with YouTube and stuff like that. Major battle, major battle, okay? Um, and so note what it says here in our history book called the Bible, right? That we read that Necho went up to do what? Why did Necho go up? To say again? Ah, to, not to fight against Assyria. What's it say? To give aid to Assyria. Yes, exactly right. Because what's actually happening is Babylon is starting to exert itself. Okay? Assyria has been the world power. Okay, Assyria has been the world power. Okay, and so, but Babylon is now asserting itself. And so there's a, a battle that's going on. Okay, and so um, Egypt is coming up to do battle. Ne uh, Josiah goes out and he goes to interrupt it. And Necho says, Get out of my way. 
okay? And so he wipes out Josiah and he puts him back down, okay? So all this is going on. I think you might be right, though, um, Justin. I think the battle might be between Assyria and Egypt at the first battle of Carchemish. The second battle of Carchemish is Babylon. And so, so Babylon is, is, is raising its power, okay? And so the two other world empires, Egypt and Assyria, are battling against each other. They weakened each other, okay? To the point where now Babylon can start what? Exerting itself. I don't know if you guys ever like war games or whatever, but, you know, um, like in Civ, which I'm starting to learn because of Anna and Andrew and such, I've learned that when two other world empires begin to fight each other, I kind of let them alone, okay? And uh, because they're going to weaken themselves so that if, if it comes to be that I need to, to exert myself, I can do that. Well, that's exactly what's playing out, right? And so during this time, Babylon begins to exert itself, okay? Um, Nebuchadnezzar begins to ex extend his reign, okay? And so we continue to read then, verse 31, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months, only three months, in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hematel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did evil in the sight of Yahweh for only three months. This is what he's recorded for. He did evil in the sight of Yahweh according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison in Riblah, in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Why three months? Because Necho was up at Carchemish for three months. And on the way back down, he said, now let me take care of this little speed bump that got in my way. And so he comes and he takes Jehoahaz, puts him in prison, and then he puts a tribute upon the land. So again, this is, we're talking about this is Daniel. This is what Daniel's living in, okay? This is what Daniel's experience okay, experiencing right now. He's living in Jerusalem. This is his city, okay? So you think about this happening in Augusta right now, okay? The, the, the Russians came through, okay? We, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of good citizens tried to stand up and do something, you know, and, and they said, yeah, get out of my way, wipe, wipe that speed bump, continued on their path, and then they came back and said, what? Now we're really going to deal with you guys, okay? You'd know it. It would make the news. You'd hear about this, okay? So they had all that, okay? Verse 34, then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in his place, and his father Josiah, and changed his name Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he, that is Jehoahaz, died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. So now what happens? You're, you're Daniel. What's going on in your land? The, the foreign power, not Babylon yet, the foreign power gives you a, a, a tribute that you've got to pay that's way beyond what you can bring out of your treasuries. And so what, what is the king going to do? He's going to raise taxes. He's going to get it from you, right? And so now you're living in the land, and all of a sudden your taxes go up, okay? Talking about really, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. See, this is how applicable this is to us today. You know, we think, oh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Okay, so Jehoiakim... Um, Verse 36, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zuda, uh, Zabuda, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his fathers had done. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and Yahweh sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans. Now, stop for a moment. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. When did he come up? It doesn't say here, does it? But we know that. When did he come up? Yes, but I know specifically what year he came up. Chuck, you already read it. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. No, the third year of Jehoiakim. First year of Nebuchadnezzar, third year of Jehoiakim. Do you get it? Details are important. God puts details in his Bible so you can bring things together, okay? And so now you know Nebuchadnezzar and Jehoiakim, where they stand together, okay? First year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar takes the reign, and the first thing he does is next year in Jerusalem. No, this year in Jerusalem, right? And so he goes to Jerusalem, so third year Jehoiakim, Okay, so that happens. It's later, right? He, he um, rebels against them and he comes back again and he destroys the city. But when is Daniel taken captive? In the third year. You get it? Okay, that's why this is all important to us. Okay, he's not there when the city is destroyed, right? 
The city's just in what? Turmoil. And this is the first time that Nebuchadnezzar has come. He's, he's beginning his conquest. He's, he's, he's extending his, his, his reign, okay? And he's coming to Jerusalem, okay? And so in order to get to Jerusalem, this is why this map's important. He didn't come this way. You travel this way. You come over the, the top. This is all desert. He didn't bring his army that way, okay? So he goes along the, the Euphrates. So he's already gone through Assyria. You understand? He's already proven his power. Egypt, we're told, if you continue to read, Egypt no longer comes out later on, okay? Egypt won't even come out of the land anymore because they cannot fight against him, okay? Nebuchadnezzar is becoming the king of kings. And that's why Daniel later on is going to tell him, that you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of kings, okay? So he becomes the world empire. He becomes the man, right? And so this is the battle that's going on. This is what, what's going on, and it's going to have now personal uh, consequences for, for Daniel. I forgot that I'm going to go into this end of it. Because that was from the physical perspective. That's what the world's seeing, right? But on the spiritual perspective, okay, what you got really have going on is the chastisement of, of Israel, okay? And so in 2 Kings 20, 12 and 19, you can go and look at that. But that's Hezekiah. This is where the story begins. It actually goes way back to the father of Manasseh, okay, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly king for the most part, okay? But then he got word that he was going to die. And he cried to the Lord. And Yahweh heard, right? And Yahweh sent Isaiah back to him and he says, God's given you grace, okay? And he's going to let you live for 15 more years, okay? That's when we have the sign and that kind of stuff. But during those 15 years, Two things happened. Two things happened. One was Manasseh was born. Did you ever think about how the world changes? You know, you got the answer to prayer, right? He got to live 15 more years. But Manasseh wouldn't have been born if he hadn't been living another 15 years. Now, I'm not saying God's sovereign, right? Does it make sense? And it didn't take God by surprise. But when you think about things, you always wonder the what ifs, you know? But the other thing that happened was Babylon, prior to Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon sent emissaries to, um, to Hezekiah, stating that they had heard about how he had been healed, and they were coming just to, to, to sing his praises. What were they really doing? Spying the land through diplomacy. We get that, right, from, from the games we play, right? And so the reality is they, they were coming to spy out the land, and Hezekiah was full of his pride, right, because God had done this wonderful thing for him. He had shown him this great sign. He caused the, 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 the sun to go backwards or the earth to stand still or whatever, 10 paces. Do you remember? He says it's a, it's a small thing for the sun to go forward 10 steps, but let it go backwards 10 steps. And God had it be so. Tell me the last time it happened for you. You'd be pretty impressed with yourself if, 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 if God did that for you. Anyways, Hezekiah was full of himself, right? And so they came to talk to him, and he's, he just wanted to show them everything. Look, what else did God do for Hezekiah? Anybody know? Say again. He, he did increase his riches, okay? But what happened prior to the 15 years? What, what, was, what was Hezekiah's big coup even before that? No, that was Josiah. He's the one who God used to defy the Assyrian Empire. No one could stand before the Assyrian Empire. I think it was Tiglath-Pileser, who was the, the king of um, Assyria at the time. And he said, who is like me? No God has stood before me. You're, who's this Yahweh? And da, da 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 And so Hezekiah just lays it out before Yahweh. He says, you heard what he said. And that's when God sent the, the, um, the death angel to the Assyrian camp in 100 and... Thank you, 185,000. That was over 100,000. So I'm glad you saved me on that one, because I was say 120. So 185,000, 185,000 Assyrian troops died overnight. When, uh, favorite, one of the favorite lines in the Bible, when they woke up, they were all dead. <laughs> Anyways, 
But you get it? There was, they were, the sole Syrian army camp was killed. And so Tiglath-Pileser flees back to Assyria with his tail between his legs. And his sons kill him in the temple of Ramon. This is Hezekiah. He's the guy. He's the man. So Babylon comes because they're of awe of this guy. And he shows them everything he has. Isaiah comes back to him right afterwards and says, you fool. These, the same people. Now think about it. Babylon's not the world empire yet. They are, they're not. Assyria is the world empire. But these same nations are going to come and they're going to, they're going to tear you apart. They're going, to, they're going to take your sons captive and they're going to take them. It's a really interesting prophecy. You read it because it goes right to Daniel. They're going to take your sons captive and they're going to take them to the, to the land. Okay? 2 Kings 21 um, is that part of then the, the chastisement that comes from it. Let me make sure of myself on that one. Um, uh, 2 Kings 21, 1 to 15 is Manasseh was 12 years old and became king and he reigned 20, 55 years in Jerusalem. So talking about Manasseh in this one and what Manasseh did. Does anybody know what Manasseh was known for? He brought the foreign gods and idols into the temple itself. Who was the one who brought the foreign gods into the land? Solomon. Solomon. Not Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's the northern tribes. And he had the golden calves up there. Solomon, the wisest man there was, didn't follow the wisdom of God. And he was the one who brought in the temples to Chemosh and Moloch and all these others. But it was Manasseh who brought... The, the idols into the temple, and that's when God said, enough's enough. I will have no other gods in my presence. It says before we read, I will have no other gods before me, but literally the Hebrew is in my presence, before my face. I will have no other gods in my presence. And so at that moment, they were bringing the other gods, the false gods, into his presence, and God says, enough's enough. You guys are down. You're going down. And so we, we continue to see that as we go on, okay? Um, verse 10 of that passage is, And Yahweh spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and a plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and they have provoked me to anger since the days their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Okay. Then we have Jeremiah 25, 1 to 13, where we have um, even more detail of it. And let me read this for you. You can turn here if you want to and, and get there, but we're going to read through the 13 verses. Jeremiah 25, 1 to 13. The word which Jeremiah came to all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So this is one year after Daniel was taken captive. Okay? So this is the fourth year, okay? Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying... Now, this passage is important as well, because later on, when we get to the book of Daniel, we're going to find out that there's an opportunity for Daniel to start reading the writings of Jeremiah. And this passage is going to be imp important to, to Daniel as well. It says, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of Yahweh has come to me. What's Jeremiah saying? I've been preaching for 23 years. I've been a prophet for 23 years. I've been delivering the message for 23 years, right? But you have not listened. And Yahweh has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, repent now, everyone, of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that Yahweh has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the words of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says Yahweh, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, because you have not 
heard my words. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says Yahweh, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual des desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says Yahweh. And I will make it a perpetual desolation, so I'll bring on that land all my words which I pronounce against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning the nations. Now, you can go to Isaiah um, 13 and chapter, chapter 14, and you can see in, in that Isaiah prophesied against Babylon way before Babylon was the, the world power. That Isaiah was prophesying that, that I, Babylon would become the world power, but that God would chasten them. Well, here Jeremiah is declaring this in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, right? that because of all the, the sin that was going on, that God was going to utterly wipe them out, that they still had not repented, even when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time. So the point is, this is what Daniel's growing up in. Do you get it? Now it has personal implications. This is where we get to the personal implications. Because we read in Daniel chapter 1 that when, um, when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem that first time, he gave orders that he wanted them to choose the best, the most educated, the most refined of the young men in order to take them back, right, as slaves to Babylon where they might do what? Serve him, okay? Now, the first thing we want to do is talk about this enslavement, okay? This isn't a pretty picture. I don't think they walked away like, okay, let's go. It's just, we're having a trip to, to Babylon. This is kind of cool, you know? But rather, during those days, they would put, for enslavement, they would put a ring through their nose and a chain through it, okay? So that if you tried to get away, it would just be yanking on you, you like a pig, okay? Okay, and that's what would happen. And so you were in a, a, a line of slaves with, with a chain going through you so that you couldn't go taking off, okay? Wasn't a pretty picture. Wasn't a, 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 they probably weren't treated um, beautifully in Jerusalem, okay? Also, um, we go to back to Daniel chapter one, okay? What does it say, who does it say was, was um, told to grab these people? Verse three, then the king instructed who? Ashpenaz, who's Ashpenaz? The master of who? Eunuchs, we won't talk about, hopefully you understand what a eunuch is, okay? But Ashpenaz was the master of the eunuchs. He was the ruler of the eunuchs. Rab Saras, literally is what it says. And so you can go to other passages in the Bible where it doesn't translate it. It actually just brings the name up, like the king of Assyria had a Rab Saras who came in the days of Hezekiah. Okay? But literally, Rab Saras is the, 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 the mighty one, the, um, the honorable one of the eunuchs. So Ra, Rabboni, okay, Rabboni, Rab, okay, the, the much, one who has much, one who's great, okay? So he's the one who's in charge of all the, the eunuchs. So what do you think happened to Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael? They were made eunuchs. I, I, I want, especially you guys, okay? you get, girls, you get it too, okay? But I want you to understand the plight that's happening to Daniel and his, and his friends at this moment, okay? They're, they're, they are captured by the enemy forces, by a detestable king. Now understand that this, these are the Jews, and it's not just Nebuchadnezzar, whoa, wow, world empire, what an exciting, this is like Vladimir Putin coming. Do you understand? He's unclean, he's detestable, and he's taking over our land. Woohoo! I love him. No, you don't. You get it? You're not excited for this moment. Wow, I've been really hoping that Babylon, because Babylon is so awesome, you know? I mean, I really was, I wanted to be part of the Babylonian kingdom all along. No, it's not how it plays out. And then they choose you. They don't know Jeremiah's prophecy about the figs. 
that the good figs are the ones that are going to be going to to go into Babylon, the bad figs got to stay. They thought that the good figs were going to what? Stay in Jerusalem, and the bad figs are going to be the ones to take in. So you're taken as a slave, and you're made a eunuch. Now, I don't know if it happened before you had to take that long walk. Oh, think about that, okay? Or whether it happened when you got there. That's a mighty welcome. It's kind of like, you know, the, the welcomes that we have to our, our, our states sometimes. Hey, welcome to our state, pay our hotel tax. And so, you know, greetings. I'm glad you came to, to Babylon. Here's the knife, okay? And so, so all this is going on, right? So they get, they're enslaved, um, and they're, they're forced to, to take a, a walk. It's a nice walk. 318 hours. That's using the, even the, the roads that we have, though, today. See, these are all roads. So Google follows the roads. Could you imagine what it was like? without a road. So take the 318 and say you walked what? 15 hours a day. That's a long walk. I get it. But force, force marches. That's still what? 20 days, 20 days at 15 hours a day, just based upon that weeks being pulled, dragged through a desert kind of situation, probably with the, the chain through a ring in your nose. Do you get it? Who else do we, what do we know about Daniel, Hananiah, Mikael, and Azariah? They were hardworking individuals, weren't they? Bricklayers. They, they, they worked with their hands. They, worked, they had great upper body strength. Their, their feet were, 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 no, these weren't the guys, were they? Who were these guys? They were the office workers, man. They were, they were the dainties. You know, they, they, they lived in the king's palace. He might have been a descendant. Now, we're not told that, okay? But we're told that they were supposed to take the descendants of the kings and other nobles, okay? If they wanted any work done, they didn't do it themselves. They got other people to do it. Now they're being forced to walk for a couple months. Not in a pleasant situation. Am I, am I painting this good enough for you? I mean, this is, this is what Daniel is coming to. This is where Daniel's at. Where are you at right now? Not right now, but you're Daniel. Where are you at? What are you thinking? God's abandoned us. God's abandoned me. God's abandoned us, right? And you got to even wonder if what? If you're going to survive? If whether God's even God. I mean, if God was God, how could he allow this to happen to his people, his chosen people? And I don't know, we're never told anything about Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah pre-capture. Do you get it? We don't know what they're like in Jerusalem. Are they complacent? Think about it. Are they like everybody else in Jerusalem, just living? Life is what? Life is good. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? We're God's people. We're untouchable. Remember what happened with Hezekiah? The, the stories probably have, and Manasseh's doing these things, but that's okay. God still what? God still loves us. We're still being blessed by God. And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. And not only does the unthinkable happen, but the unthinkable of the unthinkables of the unthinkables happens to me. Why did I have to be chosen? Did you ever think about Esther? Why did I have to be cursed with this beauty? I thought it was great before, but it certainly was a plague now. She's, I mean, before she became the queen, right? Hadassah, before she becomes the queen, right? When she's taken, what does she know that she's in for a life of? Living in a harem. To be used for the king's pleasure whenever he would call. That was her life. Could you imagine that? And you think you got it bad today? You think life is bad in the United States today? 
There's no comparison. When I look at what Daniel is going through, it makes me melt with embarrassment that I don't have a greater fortitude. Well, their assignment then was to serve with their appointment to serve the, the Babylonian kings. They were taken because they shown potential to learn. And so they're going to they're be taught. But I want you again, think about this, not from our secular United States perspective. They get to go to Carnegie Mellon. They get to go to Massachusetts Institute of Technology. They get to go to Georgia Tech. They're going to be taught all the greatest things and they're going to be the most wonderful guys. No, that's how we think. That wasn't a great thing. They're going to be taught all the arts of the pagan religions. Do you realize that Daniel is going to become a magi? When we talk about the magi coming, it's where we get the word magicians from. Okay? Sorcery. He's going to be taught all these things. All the arts, all the wonders that's, that goes on. For a Jewish boy, if he is semi Sent, set apart to God, which we're going to find out that Daniel is, right? This is not a pleasant thing to be looking forward to. Now, it comes with its benefits, okay? I mean, again, if you're not overtly religious here, you know, and you're there, oh, you know, you know, that's okay. I mean, God has his place, but God's chosen to abandon me and allow me to be in this place, and so that's kind of cool. I get to have this place of elevation. If I'm going to become a eunuch, at least I got a place of elevation, right? And it comes with a feast, Every day you get a feast, man. How many people to get to say that they got to eat from the king's table? I mean, think about it. People back in Jerusalem, they're starving right now. I'm starting to understand the good fig moment here. I mean, I get to eat the best of the best, drink the best of the best. It was their apportionment. They were given a certain portion from the king's table every day. But that's when... The proverbial rubber met the road, didn't it? That's when Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah said, we got problems. But before we can get to the decision part for them, we got to talk about the other thing that they got when they went to Babylon, and that is they got new names. Their names before, as a whole, all reflected their faith in Yahweh. Daniel literally means God is my judge. Hananiah means favored by Yahweh. So whenever you see the I-A-H at the end of somebody's name, that's actually a Y-A-H, Yah, it's Yahweh. Okay? And so Hanan, Hanun, is the word for favor. So um, Noah found Chin in the, in the sight of Yahweh. Okay? Found favor, found grace. This is the word to be favored. Okay? So he was favored by Yahweh. Mishael, who was like God, Mishael, El was the word for God, okay? And then Atzar, Yah, Yahweh helps. Atzar, Yah is probably thinking, what? You know, my name means nothing right now because it's not playing out, right? And Daniel's probably thinking, what? He's judging right now. You get it? So, but they go in and they're given new names. Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. Favored by Bel. I always thought that was kind of interesting. Why didn't Hananiah become Belteshazzar? I mean, it was just, no, you're not favored by Yahweh. You're actually favored by Bel. Okay? Shadrach, rejoicing in the way, or a friend of the king. There's a lot of debate going on there. Meshach, a lamb, or a young sheep. Okay? And when I, when I see that and I meditate on, I think, Romans chapter 12, that we're, or Romans 8, sorry, Romans 8, we are like sheep led for the slaughter. You know, and so in a sense, he's probably thinking the same concept this moment. He's, that's what's happening. And then Abednego, servant of Nego. So he goes from being a servant, if you would, of Yahweh to a servant of what? The name? No, that's just I didn't put a, I didn't put the hyphen there. I mean, it's two words. So, but it becomes one, Abednego. So, um. So anyway, so they're given then new names, new aliases as well, okay? But now we get into their decision. What are they going to do? 
They're given all this apportionment, but what are they going to do with it? Well, we read then in Daniel 1, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. That is where your decisions always start. What do you really desire? What is it that you really, 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 really want? They talk about the, the battle of the mind, the battle of your thought process. Take every thought, what? Captive. But do you realize, and understand there's a debate, there's sometimes there's a challenge there, but many times your thoughts are a result of what your heart has been. You have placed your heart someplace. And because you've placed your heart someplace, you've allowed different things into your mind, which then plague you later. It begins in your heart. That's why the Shema is, it begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. But you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. To the church of Ephesus, Jesus stated, you've done all these things wonderful. I know that you've tested those who said they're prophets, and you found them to be false. But I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. Your heart's in the wrong place. Daniel purposed in his heart. It was his ambition. It was his um, motivation. And then we see, along with his friends, but I think it's interesting that we're told right off the bat that Daniel purposed in his heart. We're not told that Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael purposed in their hearts. Daniel purposed in his heart. The impact of a life. I can't say what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah would have done if Daniel didn't do this. Maybe they purposed in their heart, but we're not told that. And I wonder whether Daniel was the guy who said, Guys, no, no, God has not forgotten us. We know by the writings of the prophets that God is still going to work through us and that we have to be able to, 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 to serve him even when we don't like it. I think of the Facing the Giants movie with the, 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 the football, right? We're going to praise him when we win and we're going to praise him when we lose. Because God's still the same God. God's still in control. And God has allowed what he's allowed for a reason. I may not understand the reason, but he's allowed it into my life. And I have a decision to make. I can either fight against it or I can embrace it and know that God wants to use me through it in spite of it. I don't know where Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael were at but I know where Daniel was at. And we got a book written by his name. God honored the faith of this one guy. And that's why I said, when I, when I compare Daniel in the, in the, as the, the different ones, he's probably my top three, if not the top. I mean, there's probably others who are going to fight for that, but of men of faith throughout all time, as a teenager, to be able to make this stand and to encourage his friends to make the proper stand. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. I like this picture. It comes from the Good News Clubs, comes from CEF. So I'll give them <clears throat> the copyright notice there. But note in the picture how they did it with all the ham and stuff like that, okay? For a Jew, that would be like, ah, not good. Okay, but the point here is not that it was ham. I don't know it was ham. I don't know what it was, okay? But it was things that were offered unto the idols. The king's food would have come from that which was offered to their idols, to their gods and their goddesses. To eat those would have been wrong for Daniel, would have defiled him. Now, 
on the, the, the things to ponder and discuss later on at the bottom of your note sheets is to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, and Romans 14, and we can talk about that later. So I'm not going to get into that passages and how all that applies to us today about eating things offered unto idols. You read those chapters. You meditate upon those, okay? We want to talk about what happened in Daniel. For Daniel, Daniel realized it would have been a sin for him. You understand? Regardless of everything else, it would have been a sin for him, okay? And he determined, purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This is huge. Think about it. Who is he? He's a slave. And he's going to go to the chief of the eunuchs and say, I need you to talk to the king for me. And I want you to make them understand we can't eat this stuff. It's trash. It's defiled. It would defile us. We can't eat it. You're going to tell the king that? Oh, you got three slaves from, from four from Judah. They don't want to eat your food, king, because uh, they say it's unclean. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's a nice guy. No, he's not. He's not a nice guy, okay? This is not the guy you want to get on the bad side of. Think about our Sunday school class today, right? When is it that you stand and, and you don't submit to the governing authorities? For Daniel, this was the moment. He didn't fight against being a eunuch. He didn't fight against being told that he was going to be taught all these different things. But when he was told that he had to eat the stuff offered to the king, he balked. Do you get it? But it's important to me for me to see what he does as a response to this. Because he gives then them a proposition. Because the, the guy comes back and says, oh, no, I can't do that. I mean, it'd be off with my head. If I go before him and say, hey, this is, gonna, this is how it's happened, he's going to kill me. You know? And so Daniel comes back. He says, so Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacy as you see fit. So deal with your servants. So he, so he consented, that is the servant of the eunuchs, consented with them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. Think about what Daniel states at this moment. Daniel is not, this has nothing to do with vegetarianism. Has nothing to do with veganism. Has everything to do with I don't want to eat the things offered on idols. You understand? So if you're thinking that, put that away. It's very clear, okay? But what he says is, on the other side, which is going to tingle your ears maybe a little bit too, think about this. Would you at least lay out a test with us that for 10 days, let us only have pulse or vegetables, things that grow from the ground, okay? Let us only eat those things for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, come back and examine us. If we look worse off than we do right now, or worse off than all the other guys who are eating from the king's table, then, then what? Say again, fellas. We'll eat what they eat. It's not written. It's the unspoken here. That's the, that's the conditional. If God doesn't come through, I had a couple many years ago, previous church. I had a chaplain of the, the post, wasn't Ron Benzing, um, it was another chaplain by that point, who called me up and said, I've got this young couple that um, need marital counseling. Would you be willing to, to provide marital counseling for them? I thought that was kind of cool because I really didn't know the chaplain of the post at that moment and how he got my name, I don't know. So, but he calls out of blue and I said, of course I will. And he says, do you charge? I said, no, I don't charge. It's totally free. Freely receive, freely give. I'd love to meet with this couple. And so they came in and um, they were divorced, ready for divorce. It was gonna, I mean, it was like why they even were talking to the chaplain, who knows? And I said, look, I get it. Have you ever been to counseling before? Seven times. Been to seven counselors. They're, they're done. They've been through this process. I said, have you ever had anybody counsel you from the word of God? Have they ever just opened the Bible and said, here's what God's word says? And then not giving you their own opinions, not giving the opinions of the world, but just this is what God's word said. And they said, no. I said, well, do me a favor. Would you give God two weeks? Two weeks. And if God doesn't do anything in two weeks, get your divorce. 
Just go ahead. I mean, you're ready for it anyway. But would you delay it just two weeks and see what God can do? They looked at me like, well, okay, I'll give you your two weeks. And then we're justified, right? She got saved. She got saved. He gets rededicated. It was really kind of cool. She gets baptized. So I baptize him as a rededication. He baptizes her. And so that's all not happening two weeks. The baptism happened later on. But in those two weeks, she got saved. And, and then his life gets recommitted. And everything. life is it's, it's amazing. That's, in a sense, what Daniel is saying. Give God 10 days. Are you willing to trust God? Think about this. Even for 10 days. They gave up. They went on a vegetable fast. Are you willing to go on a vegetable fast for 10 days? Only eating vegetables for 10 days. Well, that fast worked. They came back. We're going to see this in a moment, right? And how God honored them which meant that they were going to go on this vegetable fast for how long? Three years. I heard some groans. Because <laughs> their training, go back in the beginning, their training was for how long? Three years. So the entire time they're going through this training process, when they were going to be getting food from the king's table, three years. Now, I don't know about after this. I don't know whether they're still going to be fed and whether they just continue on being vegetarians for, for the rest of their lives. I don't know that. But what I do know here is that this commitment is a three-year commitment. And I have to ask myself, what am I willing to give up to serve the king? If you knew that it was sin to you, what would you do with it? Would you justify it? Would you excuse it? Well, I can't help myself anyway. I mean, who has that kind of power? Who has that kind of ability? I mean, surely God doesn't want me to not have protein. Think about it. And so they make this, this, this proposition, and the servant takes it. And so then we get to the end where God then honors them. Okay? Their dignity. Their dignity. I love this word. I, can I share this? This is kind of weird. I mean, because I, I, I know there are debates and all this kind of stuff. I believe that the Holy Spirit works through me and he, and he leads me and stuff. I had this outline a week and a half ago, even when I'm still thinking about Christmas stuff, okay? Um, and I'm, I'm sort of still meditating on Daniel, reading ahead and, and kind of that kind of stuff. One night, you can say what you want, but one night when I was laying down, this whole outline came to me. Just, it was there. And I fought against the word dignity for a long time. Like, no, it's just, I don't like the word, but it's a great word. God gave Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael great dignity in the eyes of everyone around them. Could you imagine what that servant of the eunuchs thought of? when he came to check them out and they looked better, they were noticeably better. I don't know what that looked like, but they were noticeably better physically, their physical appearance. Now, I don't know whether God made everybody else sickly looking and they just look good or whether they got buffed up from vegetables, whether they're, they had an aura of a shine about them. I don't know. Do you ever wonder what it looked like? Mean, I like to think some of these things. Like, how does that look like 10 days? I mean, what was noticeable in 10 days? That I mean, they look better. But God did it in such a way that people looked at them and said, what? Whoa, there's something different. Their God is working in them. And then they get, go, they get taken before the king, before Nebuchadnezzar himself. Do you think anybody mentioned the fact that, hey, king, by the way, they didn't eat your food. But when they were tested by Nebuchadnezzar himself, he found them not just a little bit smarter, 10 times. Do you get it? 10 times smarter, wiser, more prudent, more understanding than all the other trainees. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. 
It's not what it says. The standard wasn't just the, the trainees. There wasn't one of these curve things going on. The standard that was being used were the experienced ones. He found them 10 times smarter, wiser, prud more prudent, more understanding than all in his land. You want blessed? Students, you want blessed? I mean, I'm laying it out there. I know a kid, and I'll, I'm going to use his name. Um, not you. Who am I going to talk about? Eddie. Eddie. See, they know Eddie. Eddie. I have been discipling Eddie on the phone for years now. Justin led Eddie to the Lord when they were kids. Eddie came here once years ago, and he was impacted by this church, whether you realize it or not. He was only here for a little bit, and I've had the opportunity to disciple Eddie on the phone for years now. Eddie was going, didn't, does, just, he's, he would tell you himself, he's not the um, academic type, okay? And so he went to school to be uh, a meteorologist, and um, couldn't do the math. And um, so, but he went, he was going to go to um, UT Martin, UT Martin. Um, and so his whole family winds up moving to, for him to be able to go to UT Martin so they get closer to Martin, right? So he gets to UT Martin and he just can't do it. He just can't make it. And so we're on the phone and he's just really frustrated, really struggling, you know? He loves the Lord and knows God's got a plan and he just doesn't know what's going on. And so I said, well, you know, and I'm looking at the map and I see there's this other college called Union College that's near him. It's a Baptist college, Baptist Union College. And so I said, hey, there's a, it's called Union College right there. And so he started looking into it. He said, oh man, you know, yeah. You know, I said, is there anything else in life that you'd like to do? He said, I like to write. And I said, well, you know, that'd be kind of cool. So anyways, he's now a seminarian or he's not in seminary yet. He's He's a, a theology major, okay? He's about a year away from graduating, and he's going to go off to seminary. God has continually moved him. This past semester, Eddie got an A. Was it an A or B? I don't want to say it wrong. In Greek. A B. It was a high B, though. In Greek. In Greek. Now, some of you have taken Greek with me, and you've quit. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, raise the hand. You want to admit it? Okay. It was hard. It was hard. Greek is hard. And if you don't have a gift for that, it's really hard. But if God wants you to do it, guess what? You can do it. You get it? And God honors those who by faith will do what God has called them to do, even if they can't do it on their own. Eddie couldn't do that on his own. I'm not picking on Eddie. Eddie and I talk. We just talked on Thursday, and I was rejoicing with him on Thursday for what God has done in his life. It's not Eddie. It's God working through Eddie. You get it? What does God want you to do? Even though it looks like the world's convulsing all around you, and this doesn't make sense. Will you dare to be a Daniel? So, what has been your reaction and response as you consider the international situation of our day? Are you mad? Are you upset? Do you want to fight against it? Or do you think that maybe God is sovereign and it hasn't taken him by surprise, and he's got a purpose in all this? Now, I'm not saying that, again, we talked about in Sunday school, I'm not taking a side on whether, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that God's sovereign. This hasn't taken him by surprise. He's given us what we've wanted. It may not be what you wanted, but he's given us what we as a nation want. The problem is in the nation, we don't want what we got. Are you truly trusting in the sovereignty of our God? Do you believe that God is in control and has a plan? How committed are you to being consecrated to the Lord? And finally, oh, one more. What are you willing to give up in, in serving the King of Kings? And then is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you are in control of all things, and God, I am so grateful for the testimony of Daniel that is recorded in your word. Lord, how I have fallen so short of even that testimony. All have fallen short of your glory, <laughs> but Lord, I have, I have fallen short even of Daniel's glory. But you are a God of grace. 
a God of mercy. Lord, and I look out and I see a room full of Daniels and Daniels that you want to use for your glory. Lord, I pray that your church around the world would arise, that we would put our armor on, that we would choose to walk before you for your glory, that we would make the decision to follow the Messiah, to follow Jesus with everything we are, regardless of the world, regardless of whether anybody follows us, even if we have to go it alone, that we'd make the decision to honor you, to not defile ourselves, that you might be seen, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.